Blog Talk Radio. I forgot to play the introduction. I'm an idiot. Hey, welcome, guys. It is time hey. for a brand new. I, I'm such a silly guy sometimes. It's only the third day of the show. I want my expect? introduction. I want to hear it. <laughs> I know. It's it's the last hundred days. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. We are just a uh, third, third day in, so things are a little chaotic here. But we are going to play Michael's uh, opening because he worked so hard on it. So it's, it's one of those things. It's live radio, right? So let's see if we can fight it. There we go. We'll be right back. Here we go. Ah! In a country barreling towards a crucial election while facing a pandemic, a liar in chief, fake news, and murder hornets, this is the last 100 days. There you go. And Michael's a SAG actor, so that just cost me 25 more bucks. All right. Here we go, guys. Welcome to the third episode, day 97 and counting till the election. This is the last 100 days podcast. It is Wednesday, July 29th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. And with me, as he is on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, the handsome and talented actor and my co-host, Mr. Michael Vega. Michael, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm well, I'm well. How are you? I am doing okay. Everything's wonderful here in beautiful downtown Northeast Ohio. And Michael, you brought a special guest with you today. Why don't you introduce her? Uh, this is my longtime friend and sister of Perpetual Indulgence, Sister Annie Cockledoo. Hello, hello, hello. Annie, welcome to the last 100 days. How you doing? I am doing well, hunkered down in Oakland, California. (laughs) Beautiful. We are going to need your prayers, Sister Annie. We put a question mark at the end of our show because we don't know if it's 100 days till we get rid of uh, 45 or if it's 100 days till the end of democracy as we know it. What is your take on the upcoming election? Oh, I would love to say I'm an optimist and, and hope for the best, but... Somehow I feel like we're going to take somebody out screaming, kicking, and acting like a two-year-old, and I'm not talking about his son. <laughs> there you go. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, what other what other use for that that not that unclimbable wall would there be unless he's going to put up a fight? <laughs> Did you see the footage the other day that that uh, hurricane that went through uh, South Texas blew down his wall? It was put together so well. You know, he he only does things the best, with the best people and the best materials. He does it very bigly. Exactly. I would and then not God say... makes it change. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would never stay above the second floor of any of his hotels or properties. Who knows how they're built? I'm telling you. I would never stay well, guys, on any of his properties. Yesterday's, yesterday's show. Exactly. You missed yesterday's show. We're lucky enough to have our Tuesday, Thursday co-host on Brandon Carmody from Portland, Oregon, uh, direct from where a lot of the action is happening these days. We got to hear his take on it. And it looks like news today is the the governor supposedly has worked a deal to get the troops out, but it may not be happening. What are you guys hearing? 
Um, I, I'm hearing there's that the, you know there's going to be some pushback, and you know they're just not going to comply. Um, I don't know how well that's going to go down. I I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, for me, it's a, you know all I think is it's a crap roll. I I can't honestly say. I mean, I hope they leave. I don't understand why they're even there in the first place. You know, especially if the governor, you know. Uh, clearly said they don't need them. And from my understanding, and I don't live in Portland like our other co-host, and, but I do have friends up there, and, you know, they have sent me uh, uh, maps where it's showing me where exactly these protests are, where exactly the, the stuff we see on the media is. And I've never been to Portland, but when I'm looking at these maps, I'm looking at this, this giant metropolis, and then I'm seeing this tiny little red circle of what we're seeing on the media. So, you know, all of this misinformation is, is, you know, has me just flummoxed. I don't, I just don't know what to say. Right. And Brandon brought it to our attention yesterday. It really is basically a two square block area around the courthouse where you're seeing this quote unquote violent protesting going on. And we had talked about it yesterday. Both him and I are against the trying to light a fire to the courthouse and graffitiing and spray painting it. But if you look at down the road a little bit, you see thousands and thousands of people chanting Black Lives Matter, singing songs together, very peacefully protesting with their lights and their flashlights. So it is a kind of a cluster muck there in those two, two square blocks. But if you go outside of that, you see them all um, out there. You, I just posted a video from TikTok the other day that showed thousands of people just singing and chanting uh, Black Lives Matter uh, very peaceably. Um, go ahead. Well, I mean, the narrative he's, he's selling is the idea that we're, he's worried about violence. He's worried about all of this, this rise of violence, you know, with the riots and, and the stuff he's spewing. So he's going to send troops to add violence to violence. You know, even right. by, by his own word, this doesn't make any any sense whatsoever. Um, you know, to me, it's just obvious intimidation. It just sets the groundwork for further intimidation to keep people off the streets, you know, thinking, oh, my God, if I, if I go out there, I'm going to be snatched by, a, 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 you know, an unmarked car and, 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 you know, guards who aren't agents who aren't going to, you know, identify themselves. So, I, you know, right. I think it's just an early fear tactic. Well, he's testing it out for, I was going to say he's testing it out for November. I bet you 10 to one come end of October, you're going to see something like this happen again. And it's going to be in some key demographic States. He's testing to see if this will work and if he can intimidate the crowd. That's exactly what will happen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was just reading today in Forbes, the, you know, he's planning on sending uh, troops to Cleveland, Detroit, Milwaukee. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and even, even if he doesn't send them out around then, you know, it's already going to be a tickle in everybody's mind that, oh, 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 they could, you know, they could be here. You know, so whether they're there or not, you know, the nervousness of some people not wanting to go to the polls because it could happen here too, you know, is, is, well, and a lot of, is dangerous. Sorry to cut you off. A, a lot of it, no, no, go ahead. a lot of the polls are actually, a, a lot of the polls are actually in either state, county or government buildings. So think of it also as they're going to block people from entering. 
And that's the scarier Ooh. part. I didn't even think of that. That's a good point. And well, what's supposed to happen in Portland today is the state police is supposed to take over that little zone where the fencing is and everything, and they're supposed to be the ones now protecting, quote-unquote, protecting the courthouse, which it rightfully need done because there were some stupid protesters out there. And I don't think they were protesters. I think they were anarchists that were actually – there's a lot of graffiti on the side of it and things, and we talked about the ARK, so I won't go into it again. But the, what's supposed to happen is the state police is supposed to take over where the federal police were. Um, the state said they are going to leave and go home. The federals are saying, no, nah, we'll maybe stay inside a little bit. We may go down the block in case you need us. Give us a call. They're not necessarily leaving yet. So we'll kind of see what happens uh, there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens tonight when this happens, because they don't have the excuse that it's the police now there. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. But I like Sister Annie's thoughts there. I think it could be a ploy. Very, 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 very true. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the GOP plays the long game constantly. There's, you know, there's, I, I, I raise an eyebrow to every little action and try to think, okay, what could this be good for well down the road? You know, it seems, you know, terrible now, but how much more terrible is it going to be in a few months? And everything he does is long term. Nothing he does is short term. There's no short-term game in, in game plan. It's long-term. How do I disrupt? No. How do I keep people from voting? It's it's all of that is long-term. He's in it to to make this a chaotic election. Oh yeah, well he's in right. it to stay. He just wants to stay. I just it's everybody behind him that you know. I think those are where all the uh, uh, malicious intent is. He just wants to stay in power, I believe. You know, he's just a big old man baby who's, you know, biting at the bit because he may be elected out. So, you know, not not that I'm I'm absolving him from responsibility, but I just don't believe he's clever enough to come up with these long term plans. Okay. I'll yeah, give you I that. Mean, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a that's a pretty good debatable point. I like it. All right, let's go into some of the other things that were kind of tickling my fancy today. We've got to talk about the demon sperm. I mean, that was the demon news yesterday. So, <laughs> look, guard your girls, guard guard the women and children, because there is demon sperm out in the world. So says this Dr. Stella Emanuel, uh, a pastor of Firepower Ministries, who was on the, created a video with a couple other doctors the other day saying how, Masks are not needed, how this hydrochloroquine is the cure to COVID-19, and it'll wipe it out, and all this is just a bunch of baloney stuff. And, of course, our lovely president retweets it and then goes and talks about it at his news conference yesterday. I don't know if he just did not realize that this girl is also this pastor that believes in demon sperm and alien DNA is turning people against God. Uh, kind of a whack job. What have you heard about this? Oh, 
I mean, well, I, I'm reading here on MedPage today. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say I'll be starting a band called uh, Demon Seaman next week. But anyway, I, I will let you know where we'll, where we'll be playing. Um, <laughs> I'm still looking for a backup singer. But, uh, so apparently she's, she's a pediatrician and a minister, of course. We've all read that. Uh, she said she's working on publishing her own da- data and added that her data would not matter right now because people are dying when not treated with the drug and quote unquote, everybody get on hydroxychloroquine. Now, here's the thing. Even if, if that was an effective drug, what doctor gets up there and just tells, get on this drug. I mean, to, to, to get on any drug, it takes medical supervision. You know, any doctor of any metal would, would, would realize that and wouldn't be shouting, Hey, just take this, you know, that irresponsible right there. Um, apparently it says she couldn't be reached for comment on Tuesday. Her ministry's website was not operational Tuesday afternoon and a GoFundMe page that she called her quote unquote legal team has been removed from the site and the cached version of the ministry site still stands. Um, oh my God. And apparently the, what, what are they calling them? The frontline doctors or whatever. Apparently that was a, uh, they applied for that domain name on the 16th of July. So I, it's a I marketing just an opportunity. Ploy is what we're saying. It's a marketing ploy but, is all it is. And so did you, along, did you hear, hear though that she, uh, that his tweets were taken down not only from Twitter, Facebook and uh, YouTube, that information that he had reposted had been pulled from all sites um, because of uh, false information. So it just makes me uh, laugh because who was brought up in front of Congress today, but all the CEOs of those sites. Right. And that was scheduled for a while, but they have, that was one of the Republicans arguments that these people are anti-Republican. And so, yeah, the, the, the fact that they pulled, they scrubbed this ad it was almost a, it was an ad. It wasn't a press conference. It was an ad in the guise of a press conference of these three doctors, yeah. which is why it's a marketing ploy, which is why they registered their domain name and everything. But it was yeah. a, it was a ad going through Facebook, going through YouTube. It was a paid ad through all the social media and it was scrubbed as sister Annie said for false content. Um, but the sad thing is it got retweeted by Trump and seen by over a couple million people before it was brought down. And worse, to our poor LGBTQ community, we are having a little mini revolt on our hands because guess who else praised this nut job of a woman? Oh, Madge. <laughs> Madge. Madge is at it. Oh, Madge oh, is at it. I'm so disappointed. You know, I'm all for her going crazy in her later years, but not this kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, she's she she's earned the crazy, but not 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 this not in this way. Not not in a way that's going to hurt people. Pull that little X eye patch down a little and cover your mouth with it, girl. I'm telling you this. Uh, I just, <laughs> Madam X needs to cover the mouth. Yeah, she said that she, she is she needs to get a hero in speaking there. the truth. So I, I don't know. She's she's been getting trolled pretty bad on it though. So yeah, it's pretty bad. 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, she could formally do no wrong in my eyes, but now I'm, I'm bowing my head. I think it was one of her PAs that probably retweeted it, not her. I mean, my God, she probably doesn't even know how to use a Twitter account. Well, you know, someone said that. Someone said it probably wasn't her, but then someone else said, oh, it's in her voice. It's like, well, you know what? Anyone can tweet in someone else's voice. And that's the one thing I hate about Twitter is there's no voice. There is no context. It's such a flat medium. You can't get any nuance out of Twitter. I think Michael and I talked about that on Monday. Oh yeah, and everyone knows Trump has people retweeting his stuff or typing his stuff up anyway. No, very much so. Exactly. We should at least have an editor. (laughs) We should at least have a spell checker, proofreader. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Somebody take his fat thumbs off. It was just funny. Keeping our theme of Trump as baby in chief. As soon as he started getting asked questions about this girl in his news brief yesterday. He hightailed it out of that briefing in like three seconds flat. He just stopped and turned around and went away. So he was not going to answer well, any questions. He, Go ahead. He's mad that nobody like nobody likes him. I mean, right. this is this is the president of the United States who's more concerned about uh, tweets and trending and not understanding how algorithms work in trending, but you know, focused on well, people really don't like me. Like 150,000 right. people dead, and you're worried about, you know, your popularity. Come on, Becky. Run the country. Yeah, that was the second part of his news conference. He was comparing that, that why does why does everyone like Dr. Fauci, and why does everyone <laughs> like Dr. Burke, and nobody likes me? It must be my personality. You think? You think that I might mean, be? <laughs> you had seventy some odd years to figure this out. No one's ever liked you. I mean, it, it's funny to me. You know, I remember the days, you know, eighties. When it, well, I'm not even that old, but I remember the eighties, kind of. Yes, you are. Uh, when hit <laughs> liar. Uh, him in interviews. <laughs> no, no, nothing to see here. But uh, him in interviews, <laughs> and not just on TV when he's running from a script, but you know, actual interviews and. He's always been this person. So it's amazing to me that people my age and older completely forgotten that he's always been this, this lying, narcissistic piece of, you know, you know, demon semen. Yeah. Did you see the uh, Barbara Walters clip that was going around social the other day? I guess she did an interview with him a couple of years ago and just would not pull up with his baloney. And it was pretty classic. Like, go, Barbara. Got to give her Barbara uh, credit. She she can go for the jugular when she had to. There's exactly. a video. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's Penn or Teller. I get them mixed up. One of them was on Celebrity Apprentice, but he goes into uh, saying what it's like to be in, well, it's not really a boardroom, but, you know, it's a set of a boardroom. But he went on to uh, uh, illustrate what a, a shooting a scene in the boardroom is like. And he said it was just he would just talk on and on and on. And, you know, things wouldn't even be in relation to why they were sitting at the table. And then they would just edit around it, you know, like him in a press conference now. You know, so you watch that show, you watch Apprentice and you think, wow, he's making these really executive decisions. That's sharp. But Penn or Teller, whichever the one it was, uh, said, no, that was based on sitting there for like two hours, you know, to get him to say, 30 seconds worth of sensible things. Right. That's called good editing. <laughs> exactly. 
Seriously. Mr. Annie, I mean, we were talking about Portland. You're in the Bay Area, which is a very progressive part, of course, of California itself. Is there anything you're seeing around the Bay Area there that, uh, as far as protests goes, as far as anything else, either through the election or through Black Lives Matter, that kind of has got your attention? Well, I mean, I'm over in Oakland, California, so we're across the, the bay from the, the big city. But, you know, Oakland was actually listed by Trump as one of the cities he potentially was going to send troops into. And mm. I love my city. You know, it's got a lot of character, a lot of grit, um, but the community went crazy. The mayor had to come out a couple of times and reassure people she will do everything in her power to prevent him from actually doing that. And it, it took like three days of protests to kind of whittle it down. And he was basing that whole comment on the fact that Oakland PD's uh, building, which is centrally located in downtown, had graffiti on it. Now the building has graffiti on it in general, <laughs> but it actually had extra graffiti. Um, but I was like, you're basing it on a, P- a, a police officer building being graffitied. I was like, you never, like, you don't care about Oakland. We're not going to ever vote for you. We're a predominantly Democratic city. Alameda County, which is the bigger county, is predominantly Democratic anyway. I mean, we've got Berkeley as our neighbor, for God's sakes. You really want protests. Like, go over to Berkeley. But right, three, exactly. O- Oakland is so... so him basing, yeah, go on. Him basing that on uh, the graffiti. So there was no evidence that that graffiti was recent, was there? No. and the, There was some uh, graffiti that had happened the night before. And even the, mm-hmm. the cameras that the police were showing was like, it was like six people who came up to the building with hoods and everything, spray-painted the building and ran off. It wasn't like it was a mob of thousands in front of the police office. I mean, that was the so part we that can't, me. It was like, yeah. We can't afford adequate funding for, for hospitals and PPE, but we can afford troops to stop people from scribbling. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And we're going to send them into a, a place that actually had the uh, one per, the the 1% movement uh, several years ago, uh, that protest started here in Oakland. It, it brought the city to a whole new level of understanding and dealing with protests. I, we don't have crazy protests. The only thing that happens here is we, people get onto the freeway and block traffic. I mean, like that's <laughs> the, the big scandal in the Bay Area is we block the Bray Bridge traffic. I was like, nobody notices it's always that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the traffic's already pretty bad in the Bay Area. <laughs> oh yeah, we're, we're competing with L.A. now. <laughs> Seriously. There you go. <laughs> and I've done them both. It could be a mess, but I love that area up there, Sister Annie. i got to tell you, you have some beautiful, Absolutely. beautiful scenery around here, and I love it all. Very, very cool. Let's talk about what and, we're still And the neighborhoods the are nice, too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, my very first time in the San Francisco there, it can be intimidating. I remember when I um, first moved, I moved to Monterey, California, about two-hour drive from San Francisco. 
And I thought that I, I was going to go into San Francisco on my first day off. So I was in Monterey for about a month and decided uh, to go uh, into San Francisco. And as you know, I'm sure, as you go up Highway 101 or whatever it is there, and it gets into the front part of the city, and then you kind of go through the city, and 101 is on the back side of the city as you go through the rest of Northern California. Well, as I was getting right. into the city, I wanted to go. My friends had been very kind when I first moved up to Monterey and hosted me in a lot of things. So I wanted to buy them tickets to god i hate admitting how old i am but tickets to cats were big at the time and cats was playing at the golden gate theater wow. so i i know i'm old so i was going to buy them ticket to cats at the golden gate theater and it was right near the front of san francisco coming from monterey but i got on the wrong bridge it took me all the way to fisherman's wharf on the other side and i had to fight my way back over the hills in my non-automatic clutch car and then I find out, I, I get to where the Golden Gate Theater is, not knowing it's in the middle of the Tenderloin 25-cent movie district. Scared <laughs> the hell out of me, and I left in about 15 minutes. I, I, my first four in San Francisco. Just freaked oh me the heck out. Oh, my God. So that <laughs> must have been... <laughs> that's traumatizing. <laughs> that had to have been in the late 80s, if I'm guessing. That yeah, it was it was late eighties. That is correct, exactly. And so, it was still so uh, the funny thing. No, the funny ahead. thing is because of the Loma Creator earthquake, all of that's gone. <laughs> so you can't oh, really? even do that anymore. But yeah, that freeway that wrapped around um, the Fishman Wharf area that's all gone. Um, oh, that was so you can't even above, get lost around, anymore. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Oh, okay. That is hilarious. Pictures of that. Bay Area native. I'm the only one who remembers that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I love it up there. When I lived in Monterey, my favorite place to go was Booney Dune State Beach, which was the nudie beach there outside of uh, Santa. Uh, uh, what is it? What's what's the boardwalk there? Um, Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz Santa Beach Cruz. boardwalk. Right outside oh, yeah. of Santa Cruz was Booney Dune State Beach. And the nude beach in there, and that's when I was a young gay and halfway good-looking back in the day. I don't know what happened to me since then, but that was a good time back back there. That's for sure. But I digress. Let's get back into politics. Yesterday we had Attorney General Barr in front of the Judiciary Committee, and that turned into the shyster show we thought it was going to be. Did either of you get to watch any of those hearings? I did not. I did not. I, I I just couldn't. Uh, no, I did not. You go ahead. Well, I watched well, several clips of it, and yeah, I have my opinions. <laughs> well, it was very interesting. Um, the Democrats didn't let him get a word in that drive, which I kind of don't like, but I kind of like it as a tactic, because basically they wouldn't let him answer a question. And that really kind of overall pisses me off that you're going to ask a question. You're, they're just basically testifying. Um, but it works as a tactic because they Ooh. took up so much time kind of basically testifying and not letting him answer that when it was the Republicans turn to speak, 
they gave their time to him to answer the Democrats. So they didn't really get to ask their questions that much. So work is a kind of a good oh, clever. But, I, clever but it is because... rude. It's kind of hard to watch, but it is very clever. Um, well, I would imagine he you know, was... most of his answers would just be dog whistles. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, the, the attorney general is the attorney for the people of the United States. And that's Ooh. been the argument against him since he's been in here. He's been the attorney for Donald Trump, period. And you would think televised in front of Congress, you would want some level of propriety, some hiding of your politics a little bit. No, he was just full on blatant. At one point, he says, are you surprised I'm a Republican? That was actually part of one of his answers. Uh, so wow. he wasn't hiding anything. He wasn't pulling anything back. So on both sides, it was um, a little, got a little ugly at times. As I said, the uh, Democrats would not let him speak. The Republicans tried to bring everything back to uh, the Russian investigation and uh, try to get uh, that re redone. So it was, I don't think anything got accomplished. I don't think any minds were changed specifically on it. Uh, I think that he was called out quite a few times um, successfully by some of the representatives. He was asked why it was important for Portland to have this presence. But when we had all the white supremacists um, storm the Michigan state Capitol and call out for the removal of the governor and that they were going to kill the governor that they weren't removed from the courthouse. You remember those scenes of those people with guns in the courthouse in Michigan? Oh, absolutely. Uh, weren't those part of the uh, very fine people? Or, <laughs> or yeah. Some trans group? <laughs> yes. I, I was fully expecting him to come out and say, oh, they're, they're really great people. You know, we, we hang out all the time. No, it was, it's exactly it. And it's like, uh, Barr's explanation if, was, go ahead. Could you imagine if, if you know, people protesting for the Black Lives Matter movement showed up in full gear with you know, AR-15s or whatever type of guns they had? They wouldn't stand a chance. Those feds would be in there, and you know, there would be bloodshed. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. And uh, Barr's and answer was, well, exactly. The hypocrisy well, yeah, you is know, the worst Black part. Black Lives Matter have, have markers and spray paint, and, you know, the, the others have AR-15s. I, it seems uh, completely logical to me that they be treated the yeah. same. Barr tried to say that that wasn't a federal building. It's like it was the state house where the governor was at. It's like, uh, okay. Um, I, so we're going to protect the courthouse, but not a state house. I don't know. It, it was it was one of one of the moments where I thought they got to a bit. Um, he has still tried to proclaim that mail-in voting would be uh, subject to widespread fraud by foreign entities, which there's no proof for whatsoever. He asked, "What proof is there that they could even do this?" He says, "Well, there's no proof. It's just my common sense." So we're supposed to rely on that. On common sense, I so, see. Exactly. There's a scary, reassuring thought. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I mean, mean that's, that's his reasoning behind stuff. It's like, mail-in voting is bad. Why is it bad? Because I think so. 
I mean, and then they ask them, have you mail in, have you voted by mail? Yeah, twice. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you bad? And it's like, come on. Why would you do it the second time if it was bad the first? I mean, you know, they're going to twist the narrative to whatever they need it to be. And I would suggest right. anybody who's out there listening who's going to be voting by mail, do not wait. The minute you receive it, get it out in the mail again because they're going to do everything they can to slow down the mail. The, the Postal Service is already saying, give it two weeks. I say the minute it arrives, fill that thing out and mail it right out. Right. Yeah, I mean, absentee ballots um, should be available. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Uh, the first debate is September 29th. There will be 13 states with early voting before the first debate even. So mm. we can get stuff, but we can start hitting the ballot soon before waiting, before we even have to listen to these guys talk, which is a bonus in my opinion. At least I, at least I, mean, I have to hear him speak. Today. I'm not sure I need to, to, to hear a debate to uh, make a decision, but I'll, I'll watch anyway. Right. My my fear is how many of these ballots are going to go missing? Because right. it's been proven early early voters are typically typically liberal, um, and it happens. It there's going to be so many concerns around this. I'm just I'm so scared for the voters um, mailing in their ballots and going to booths. I mean, every tactic is going to be taken to prevent those votes from being counted and it's it's going to be horrific to see what they do to us no mm. well well said all right well, we're at the halfway point and i wanted to take uh, an opportunity sister annie to let you talk a little bit about your background i wanted to share with the listeners what the sisters of perpetual indulgence is all about um you guys do some really great work it's not just in one area you guys are international talk about the order a bit what drew you to it and you've done a lot of great things there let's let's brag on you a little bit (laughs) well thank you um I, i can't take all the credit but um the sisters have been around for over 40 years uh here in san francisco um the Sisters uh, are a international organization with orders, and we call them our group's orders, uh, in Canada, uh, uh, Australia, uh, Germany, France, uh, Uruguay, and I think a couple, several other countries outside of the U.S. And then we have, in almost a, every major metropolitan city, a order of sisters as well. And they vary in length the time that they've been around. But in the last uh, 15 years or so, we've seen an insurgence of orders popping up. um, And that means groups of people who want to become sisters. So, you know, we have an order in Washington, D.C. And that group probably came about right after, um, I think, in the last term of Obama, um, but they've been very active in Washington, D.C. since Trump's come into office. We have orators in Los Angeles, and I know Michael uh, knows some of the sisters down in L.A. Um, I do. And then we have uh, we have several in Portland, Seattle, and then all across the U.S., uh, Detroit. They all got very clever names, um, but they're 
they all center around our values, which is promulgating universal joy and expiating stigmatic guilt. And in layman's terms or in simple terms, that just means everyone needs to be happy and not feel guilty for being happy. Um, and that's mm-hmm. probably the best way to describe what we believe in and, and the approach we take to civil uh, discord and uh, civil unrest is we're there to make sure people remember why we're doing it, but have fun doing it. And I think it goes very close to John Lewis's quote of, you know, the, the good, good dis- disruptors. That's who we are. We're about being a good disruptor. Mm-hmm. Um, we wear makeup, we wear jewelry, we wear funny outfits. We're there to be the front line of that kind of let us take the brunt so that you, the individuals out there, can, can do the, the good deeds and can, can promulgate that joy. Um, I came to the order after being in the gay rodeo uh, for several years. And yes, for those of you who don't know, there is a gay rodeo <laughs> out there. Um, <laughs> uh, men and women and wranglers. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Save a horse, ride a cowboy or cowgirl. Um, Get some demons, and, demons. You know, yeah, there we go. But you know, it's the the whole idea is kind of coming in and 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 being a activist, and it goes back to my roots. You know, if we're going to date ourselves, I was actually at uh, the March on Washington in 1992, I think it was, or 91, um, and I was a young activists sitting on the steps of the Capitol, um, you know, protesting for our rights back in the early days. So the sisters has kind of brought me full circle. Um, Most recently, I've gotten involved in uh, what is known as the international court system. Um, And they also do a lot of philanthropical work. Um, They've gotten Harvey Milk on a stamp. Um, They've got Harvey Milk's name on a naval ship because he was a vet. Um, they're working on uh, Byron Rusty's uh, getting him on a stamp. Um, and mm-hmm. so the, they also do that philanthropical work um, throughout the United States as well. And I think because the sisters are so closely connected to the drag community, I think it's a natural evolution for individuals to kind of have that, you know, crossover between these two groups that do a lot of good within their communities locally. So in a nutshell, that's a little bit about me. Um, The sisters in San Francisco uh, are right now being very active about social distancing. um, And they're starting a six, uh, a a campaign about, um, you know, six feet or better um, and kind of doing that because they were the first group to do safe sex pamphlets uh, back in the eighties when safe sex wasn't even talked about. So, Again, they're taking that same uh, process and putting it into social distancing and making so sure wonderful. people stay six feet. So, uh, Speaking of activists, Danny, uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, the widow Norton and Jose Saria and, you know, how important he was in our community? Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I've met her, uh, the widow Norton, um, or as other people know him, as Jose Sari. Um, he actually was the first openly gay um, individual to run for public office. He actually predated Harvey Milk by, uh, I want to say, probably 10 
or so years. Um, in the early 60s, he ran for, uh, I think it was mayor of San Francisco back when San Francisco had a different structure. Um, he then uh, created uh, uh, the international court system um, and, and he proclaimed himself uh, the widow Norton. And for those of you who don't know who Norton was, um, <laughs> he was a interesting character in San Francisco's history uh, where he basically created his own currency uh, and he wrote a letter, an op-ed piece and sent it to uh, local officials saying that uh, San Francisco was succeeding from the union and would not be part of the state of California or the United States. And he was going to be emperor <laughs> of that location. Um, he uh, and this was back in the late 1900s, and she took on that persona of being his widow for the exact same reasons he was a character in San Francisco. She realized that kind of person can make change in, in such a subtle way, and people smile and laugh about it, and it simply can't. And so he helped drive a lot of the change that we see in the queer community. He was one of the first people to, you know, push for um, the police in San Francisco to not raid bars. He started what is known as the Tavern Guild. And again, kind of not yes. going too much into the history, but the Tavern Guild is kind of a modern day business, uh, LGBT business group, or even a small business bureau. Um, and these local bars get, got together and they realized if they vote on city ordinances and sent their money to specific candidates, they were a voting block. They were a powerful unified group that could get mm. change done locally. And that model actually moved out into other cities. And a lot of the early gay rights movements were built on this idea of we're power if we vote together and if we vote unified. Um, and that's something a lot of people don't realize is we are a voting block. And if we want to, we can make change happen. And that's a Absolutely. big thing right now with, you know, our president is if we all vote together, we can get him out of the office. And Absolutely. there's a big, big movement to get voter registration because people who register need to vote and Again, you go back to the 80s and 90s, and I remember the get out the vote campaigns and everything. But now it seems so urgent to do that. And that was something Jose thought of back in the 60s. And it's so relevant today. Um, and he was I'm a so crazy, crazy I, guy. <laughs> I'm thankful. I, got, I actually got to meet him before he passed several years ago, which was amazing. I, I played him on stage in a show for Theater Rhinoceros, which is like the longest running LGBTQ theater in the country. Um, it was kind of a biopic. I think you came to see that, right, Sister Annie? Yep, I remember it very well. <laughs> yeah, sex rep. Anyway, he, he did come to one of our last performances, and so that was really, uh, it, it, it meant quite a bit. Yeah, I think that would be a very interesting show down the line over our last hundred days here. I would love to have, if you're listening out there, a gay Republican on to talk about why they are voting that way. 
Um, as you said, Sister mm. Annie, I think we could be a huge voting block for the LGBTQ community. And I want people to vote their conscience, but I can't in all conscience figure out what this presidency does um, that trumps your own civil rights, which is what LGBT would be losing, what we've lost through this presidency. So I would Do you love think to these have... are people who, who've never – these are people who've never felt disenfranchised, you know, who have never felt on, on, you know, sidelined or felt like a minority, even though they're gay. Cause I've met, I've met many, a, a, a gay man who, you know, come from different parts of the country that it, they never experienced what some others have. So that's why I feel like some gay Republicans, you know, may be people who didn't really struggle with their, with their, uh, you know, being a minority of, of that kind. I think, Michael, you probably nailed it on the head right there. Right. Thank you. I will say most of the gay Republicans that I have met over the years are, generally speaking, white, generally speaking, affluent, generally speaking, just those demographics you were listing, Michael. So I think you're probably right on there. Um, but I would love to. Ha- I would love to have that debate on the show if we can find. If we can yeah. find a gay Republican out there, um, I would love to have. I, I will search high and low. There low. you go. <laughs> low will probably but, be well, easier to find. You all heard that the president of the Log Cabin Society, which is the gay Republican, actually came out. I think a couple years ago as a Democrat. Came. He came out again. Yeah, he came out. He 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 resigned as the president of the National Log Cabin Society, and said he was a uh, he was a Democrat, and that he could no longer believe in the Republican Party. So well, I, was I wonder reading... how many of them are closeted. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. I was just reading today that a a young gay man, relatively young, thirties, um, who was dismissing COVID as a hoax the entire time and was a pro-Trumper the entire time, him and his partner, his male partner, and 14 of their family members all got sick from a dinner they threw together. They were having dinners every every week. And four, they lost a grandmother. Um, 14 people got very sick, including him in the hospital, and he has since left uh, Trump and the party because – he was just following the party line that COVID has got to be a hoax because that's what the president said. And so there's again, you know, people are catching on. I, you know, and I'm going to come back to this probably for the next 90 some days we're, we're on here is the whole idea of, of empathy. This, this idea that, you know, I don't have to care about something unless it happens to me. Like I don't have to right. care about those people and how they're treated because my life is great. My life is fine. They must be, you know, exaggerating. They must be, it's not that bad or it's, it's, it's in the past. No, it's, it, you have to care. We have to care for each other right here and now, no matter whether it's your experience or not. And that just infuriates me. Well, there was no problem that doing could be a, a whole trillion show dollar right there. death for tax break, <laughs> but we can't do a trillion dollar to bail out the people that aren't working right now. So it is infuriating, Michael. I agree, hundred percent. Just we can find. I mean, Ted, the government always finds money when when 
a natural disaster happens somewhere, when uh, the Republicans want a tax break, when things happen such as that, we can magically find money and we'll just kind of grumble, grumble, grumble about the debt, but not do anything about it. But when there's an actual pandemic emergency, we're fighting over printing money up right now. We we can deal uh, with I this mean, down Ted, the line. Ted Cruz was, I forget which program he was on, but um, I heard him speaking, and he literally referred to waiters in his state as grifters. You know, waitering is a position for grifters because, you know, he knows a lot of uh, restaurant owners in his state who are trying to get waiters to come back or busboys to come back, and they don't want to come back because they're making more money staying home. I mean, first of all, to be referring to, you know, people who work in a multi-billion dollar industry as grifters, you know, okay, well, so, so you know, politics are for grifters too. I get it. But the idea that, that people are staying home just because they're making more money uh, aggravates me. Um, right. You know, what they're not taking into account is the restrictions with restaurants. So even if the restaurants reopen, what are the restrictions? Are they just – you know, is it just patio service? Is it just, you know, a limited uh, area? So these people can't even make a living wage, even if they go back to work. So why would you want to go back to make a fraction of what you would have? Well, it's not just that, too. I mean, my my former life was restaurant. I was in restaurant for 20 years as a server, a bartender, and a manager. And exactly what you said is true that a the the whole industry has changed you can't see it as much anymore you can't have the business going through more but the worst thing about it is we still do not have a handle on this pandemic what do waiters and servers and bartenders do a bartender is picking up the glass that someone had their lips on to wash and have to go through all this stuff. So unless they're wearing gloves the entire time, and that's not been mandatory yet anywhere, the, you're carrying plates, dirty plates, back and forth to the kitchen. You're, so, you're in a heat environment because when you're busy in a busy restaurant or a busy bar, you're hustling your buddies and you're sweating like crazy. So you have droplets going everywhere, whether you have gloves on a mask or not. Your brow is sweaty. Your arms are sweaty. It is a hard industry to be part of. So grifting is stupid, but it's a hard industry. Um, and oh, until we know absolutely. what's going on with this virus, it is not safe to do it, uh, no. to be in the restaurant that much. And, and I'm the kind of person that goes out to eat five days a week if I could. But I am very leery and very careful when I go out to a restaurant. And, you know, very unlike you, you know, you, you are – probably clearly compliant there are a lot of people going out and purposely not being compliant being you know being aggressive about it so having to deal with that as as a server that's just it's a it's a whole other realm of 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 of, you know the the job I i shouldn't have to enforce a mask i shouldn't have to enforce all of these things from customers you know it should just be a no brainer and so you know so that's another reason why they don't want to go back is, you know, they can't be putting their lives in jeopardy because they have to police adults who don't want to wear a piece of fabric over their faces. Right. No, exactly. It's very frustrating, very frustrating indeed. And 
And just speaking of money and politics, I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk about today was money and politics, because we we are scaling down because of COVID. They're not having these huge rallies, but Trump is going to is in Texas today to view an oil refinery, an oil rig, uh, ground rig there, and to go to a half a million a plate dinner tonight where he's going to raise $7 million for one dinner tonight. But we're going to bitch about giving money to people that haven't been able to work in three months. Um, this but election, that's also a way – yeah. Oh. Go ahead, Sister Annie. I was going to say he goes to those things and people, those are the same companies that get these small business loans and have gotten all of this money from the government because he has had rallies in their state or in their home. It's so infuriating. And you, you can blame the conservatives on the Supreme court for letting corporations be counted as individuals when it comes to donations. This is asinine. Sorry. Right. (laughs) Going to get off my, my, my my soapbox. <laughs> no, that is good. That's what we are here to do. Yeah, it's like uh, it's money and policy. They would have spent a billion dollars each this this campaign cycle minimum, and uh, now they can't do it. But they're not going. But they're still going to bitch about not being able to give money out to people who need it. So it's it's really a ridiculous thing. Well, guys, we only have about two minutes left here, so let's go ahead and wrap it up. I have some more stories I want to get to. We will save that for the week. Time flies when we're having fun. Sister Annie, do me a favor. Let everyone know where they can find, if they want a little more information on the sisters, um, where you guys have social media presence. Can people follow you somewhere? Talk about uh, the best way to get more information. So the best way to get a hold of the sisters um, – locally is you know just google the sisters of perpetual indulgence in your city name um, but if you go to the sisters.org um, you will find a list of all the orders throughout the world um, and you can click on any one of the links and get information on your local chapter um, and you can find me on facebook annie cockledu I'll spell that out slowly. That's A-N-N-I, new word, C-O-Q-U-E-L-D-O-O. My full name is Sister Annie Cockledu, um, and I'm on Facebook. And, yeah, the sisters are on Twitter, Facebook. They're all over social media. So all you have to do is look up the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and you'll probably find us on most platforms. Fantastic. And, Michael, remind everyone where they can find you on social media. Uh, Facebook, uh, Michael Vega, and then Twitter and Twitter. I over enunciated that. Uh, Instagram is Michael Vega underscore act. Michael Vega act. Very good. And you can contact That's us it. at uh, last hundred days at leftofstraightradio.com. That's last 100, the numbers not spelled out, last 100 days at leftofstraightradio.com. If you want to, uh, Talk to us about anything. Give us your opinion, and we'll read it on the air. We are going to play out today with uh, an ode to President Trump being so sad that nobody likes him as much as uh, Fossey. This is from our friend Kisos. This is He Didn't Want Me. Back tomorrow.
If you wanted me, you would have told me. And if you loved me, you would have shown me more. If you wanted me, you would have wanted me to be happy. Wouldn't always have to be asking for a moment of his time. I forced something that wasn't there, ignored the signs you didn't care. Cause when you kissed me, I believed it. Met me at the park, looked in my eyes, blew up the spark, admitted that you'd never feel it. If you wanted me, you would have told me. And if you loved me, you would have shown me more. If you wanted me, you would have wanted me to be happy. Wouldn't always have to be asking for a moment of his time. I asked everyone how to see What didn't he see in me? How did he move on so quickly? They said all words of wisdom Names I see Honestly he didn't seem to care enough To keep on fighting Reflect on the simple truth We fight for Yeah. <laughs>